0: Thank you. You can be seated. You made me sound so good, I want to get to know that guy. Well, I'm glad your pastors are not here today so I can talk about them. And I do want to do that. I want to just, uh, you know, apostles, What are the greatest qualifications, an apostle is their fathers. And uh, Paul gave instruction in Corinthians, he said, you have many instructors but not many fathers. And so I want to father you just a little bit this morning uh, before we go into, if we get there, what God wants to do this morning. But uh, a few years ago I was here, some of you might have remembered, I started prophesying and. You know, there's times when you move into things of God, you're not sure how he's going to move you. It's like she said, sometimes it's, you know, it's apostolic. Sometimes it's prophetic. Mostly when I travel, i usually more prophetic. Um, but I find when I come here, sometimes it's more apostolic because of the relationship that I have with your pastors. pastor. It is, I think it was about four years ago, and, and I, was, I was standing right there, and I prophesied, and I said, I see a storm coming. And I prophesied about this storm. I was in my house, and it was probably a year and a half later, and God reminded me of that storm. I called Shelly. I said, Shelly, I said, do you remember when I prophesied the storm? She said, no, I don't remember that. And I said, well, I'm telling you, God just brought it back to me. I said, you need to pray. And uh, I said, because I know when God reminds me of something, it's because of something's about to happen. Well, the next week is when that tornado hit here. Y'all remember that? I know you remember the tornado, don't you? Before that, that was probably, what, seven, eight years ago, I had come and, and preached a message here in a conference and um, really brought a storm that time too, didn't I? <clears throat> and, and I'm telling you that because I don't, you have to understand, I don't get to preach whatever I want to preach wherever I go if you're commissioned by God, you preach what he tells you to preach in certain houses. And there'll be people that'll come to a conference that I'll do or our youth camp. And they'll say, Hey, will you come to our church and do that? And I'm like, I can't. Why not? I said, well, you don't understand. I don't get to do what I want to do. Okay. I get to do what he tells me to do in certain places. And I'm telling you that because you're in a, you're in a great transition. The last time I was here, I believe, um, and, and you know, I don't remember every prophetic word, but there's certain things that are that jumps out. And this was kind of the word. That there's a shift that's happening. And, and hear me in this, if you don't make the shift, your pastors won't be here. Y'all remember that word? I do. Um, you're in that shift. And so understand, it's, it's not about, and I haven't talked to Shelly and Eric. They're probably freaking out right now if they're watching this. <clears throat> I know they're going to Branson. but um, I, I, You have to understand, I didn't say that. God brought that up. Okay? So what does that mean? That means the church has made a huge shift. The problem with making transition and shifts is people don't like it. People like to be comfortable. People like what, they want to know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and why it's going to happen, right? The only people that like change is a baby with a dirty diaper, right? And so when things start shifting and changing, it makes people very uncomfortable, especially when you're dealing with belief systems, things they've been taught their whole life, and all of a sudden they're going, what? And and the first thing that happens is they get angry. Come on, are you out there? I'm sure Christopher Columbus had to deal with that because everybody thought the world was flat, yet he said it was round. And then he proved it, right? Okay, so you have to understand something. Just because you've heard something your whole life doesn't mean it's true. You know, I was raised believing there were nine planets. Now they keep finding other planets out there, okay? Um, so there, there's foundational truths that are they are set. You can't change those, okay? Jesus has come to the earth. can't change that. He died for you. You can't change that. That, That's not up for interpretation. There's a lot of things in the Bible that people preach their experience, okay? You know, I I tell people all the time, I think I'm going to start a church called the Crank Church. Because I got born again coming down off Crank. See, that's what people do. They have an experience, and then they build a doctrine around it. And say, well, this is how God met me, so this is how God's going to meet you. Let me know, that's ignorance before breakfast. All right? You you don't base God on your experience. Because you may have a situation that you're believing for healing and you don't get it. Well, I want to promise you it's not God's fault. Hello? So if that's your experience, what you're going to do is you're going to tell people God don't heal. See, your experience don't dictate whether it's true or not. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? And so what I'm telling you is, this is not just a shift that's happening in Woodward. This is a shift that's happening in the body of Christ. Now, let me tell you what this shift is going into. We're shifting from God being our Father to God being our King. I want you to think about that for a minute. See, when He's your Father, you can crawl up in His lap. You can talk to him, he's hugging on you, he's loving you, he's telling you how great you are, it's all about the family and the father, and we've been in that season for about, I don't know, five to seven years, he's been restoring that, okay? But when God shifts, and you're still looking for him as father, you're going to be in trouble. Why? Because when the king comes in, you don't get to ask questions to the king. The king says, this is what we're going to do. Hello. There's a different position. It's not crawling up in his lap. It's kneeling at his feet. Are you understanding what I'm saying? When I left here last Sunday, we went and I had a service last Sunday night. And uh, we're not inviting too many people. We're really not even putting it out there because we know what God is saying. And he's shifting us. And so we were going into worship in this I don't know what you want to call it, came on me, out of me, something. And I get very confrontational. And when that happens, it's a governmental anointing, okay? And God started stirring me to start declaring things. And so I started declaring over Benghazi. Okay, some of y'all know what Benghazi is? Well, how many of it's been almost two years before anything's even, nobody got arrested? And I declared Sunday night that we will have breakthrough. There will be exposure and an arrest. I mean, it was Tuesday. There was an arrest. You, you understand what I'm saying? Now, I didn't make that happen. All I did was yield to what God wanted to do on the earth, and God has to find somebody who's willing to release what he's saying from heaven. Does that make sense? I'm not saying I'm the only one. There could have been people all over the planet doing that that day. Okay, I know that God gave me a dream when I was in Australia and I was confronting an issue over Benghazi. And so that night, it just came on me. I started declaring. I said, this is going to happen. Boom, Tuesday, it happened. I don't know what's going to come out of that. But in the midst of that, we're like, I knew something was shifting. And God spoke to me and said, we're shifting from me being your father to me being king. When it's father, it's about the family and restoration. When it's king, it's about the kingdom and territory. Did you get that? Why? Because when the king starts showing up, it's all about taking territory. It's all about extending the kingdom. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you this is not just a, quote, sabbatical for your pastors just to get some time off. There's a transition that's happening. Okay? The transition is not just about this church. It's about the body of Christ. Okay? Okay? And, and the reason I'm telling you this is because I've been through this. I've been through a great transition. Um, our body didn't make it. They didn't make it. And the reason is because they couldn't shift with where God wanted to take us. And because they couldn't shift, I couldn't stay. Are you, are you hearing me? That That's nothing against this house. It's nothing against the house I was in. Now there's a church there now, I've set up a pastor, he's in there, but it's a whole different DNA. It's a whole different, because just like an individual call, there's calls that are on certain churches to accomplish certain things in regions. Does that make sense? There's a call on this church. Okay, when leadership changes, how many knows the DNA changes of that? It, It just does because you have a different leader. Does that make sense to you? So I'm telling you this because I want you to understand what's at stake and what you're dealing with here with your pastors. Because this is a, a great shift, not just for them, but it's a great shift for you guys. And, and it's like what she was saying, it's your time. Don't miss it. It's what God was saying this morning. Don't miss it. Don't miss this shift. Here's the problem. What does it look like? I don't know. Okay, that's the hardest thing about shifting. All right, And any time that you shift, you go through ne- neutral before you go to the next gear. Come on, did you get that? There's always a, a shifting to get to the next gear, you go through neutral. So in other words, it feels like you're not doing anything. It feels like almost almost like we're not sure where we're going. We just know we can't go back to where we come from. You thought there would be some people that are with you that are not with you. You thought some things would happen different that are, didn't happen. You thought you'd had certain breakthroughs that didn't, and, and you can't live on that. You have to go listen. I don't understand all that, but I gotta trust him. Okay, and so when, when our body was going through this, there was prophetic word after prophetic word that came and said, "If you don't make the shift, if you don't make the shift, we didn't make the shift." And there was a scattering. I mean, there has just been a scattering of that house. Um, Lots of people are just lost. They're hurt. They went through some tough things. I mean, there was a a tough couple years that we went through. There was things that we dealt with, and I can look back and say, man, if we would have did this, we could have did that. And God said, stop. Because if you look back for the pain, you'll always find it. So again, if you look back for the pain, that's not. I'm not just talking about church, but I'm talking about even in your life, okay, you'll always find it. So what I want to talk to you this morning about, just for a few minutes, I want to talk to you about the process of pain. These are not messages that people like to hear, but they're truth, okay? In your life, you're going to go through the process of pain, and you have to understand pain is not a bad thing. Pain just shows you there's a problem. Come on, are you with me? I was on a camping trip one night. A bunch of leaders got together and we went out in the woods and all of a sudden I had a tooth that became abscess. Anybody ever had an abscess tooth? Well, this one swelled up so big it looked like I had a child tobacco. I mean, it was like this. But you know what? At that point it wasn't hurting. It looked bad, but it wasn't hurting. But about 2 o'clock in the morning, somebody help me listen i I got theology i know god will heal i believe in healing but when i'm hurting give me some medication you say oh i don't believe in that well you didn't have the pain i did because i'm telling you man i didn't care hit me with a hammer knock me out darvacet i don't care give me something that's how bad i was hurt i mean i'm gritting my teeth and holding on to something as they're driving me out of there, they had to call a dentist in the middle of the night to lance that thing. And when he got there, he lanced it. He said, do you understand there's enough poison there that could have killed you? But but watch what happened. The reason I let it get there is because when I was 17 years old, I went to the dentist. And he was going to pull my tooth. And he comes in, and you know what they do? They, they numb you, right? So he's putting that stuff in there. And he came back, and I said, uh, I, I can still feel it. He's like, what? And I said, I can still feel it. It's not numb all the way. I can still feel it. He goes, oh, I'll fix that. So I thought, well, he's going to give me another shot, right? So I opened up, and before I knew what was happening, he had the pliers to hold that tooth, and I could feel it. And he's yanking that tooth out, and I'm coming out with it. And if my mama hadn't have been there, I'd have busted him. I was 17, and I wasn't near as sanctified as I am now. Now, what happened is I had a bad experience. Now, that bad experience, because of that pain, now became my belief system. What does that mean? All dentists are from hell, except for Doc. Now, that's what I said, except for Doc. That's Doc. And, and so what I'm saying in that now, is that true? No. No. But that determined my belief system because of the pain that I felt. So I wasn't going to shift in that. You wasn't going to talk me out of that. I did not like dentists. I don't want to take anybody to the dentist. And I'm sure not going to the dentist. Now, do you understand how come I waited 20 years? And as bad as I was hurting, I still had enough. And I looked up at that doctor and I said, I had a bad experience. And he's looking at me and he goes, well, what does that mean? I said. I'm going to tell you what it means. I didn't hit the last dentist. But if you don't numb this, I'm telling you right now what I'm going to do. You know why? Because my pain was dictating me. Let me know he shot me three times. He said, do you feel it? I said, I still feel it. He gave me another one. He came back in. Do you feel it? I said, he gave me another one. I looked down. I I like you a lot. I mean, when he did that, I didn't feel a thing. It was. Let me you know. You know, my belief system started to shift a little bit. Like, man, maybe they are some good dentists out there. Now, listen, I'm telling you some of that because I want you to understand something. In life, you are going to get hurt. You're going to get cheated. You're going to get done wrong. Come on, say that way. Say it's the process of pain. Everybody goes through it. It's how you deal with it that determines what kind of person you're going to be when you come out of it. Or if you come out of it. See, there's been some people, because the pain has been so bad, their teeth are rotten because they never go back to the dentist. Are you understand what I'm saying? And so I want you to get this this morning. You're in this transition And you're a church that has come through some pain. You cannot allow that pain to dictate who you are. So you're thinking I'm talking about you corporately, but I'm also talking about you individually. See, what was happening with my church is not only was the church going through it, me and Sheila was going through it at the same time. And so what happened, it got to a point that I just said, I'm done. I wasn't mad at the people. I was just, the pain got so great against my family, I just I wasn't willing to put them through it anymore. See, people don't understand, unless you're a pastor, you have no idea what it's like to be a pastor. No one feels somebody leaving the church worse than the pastor. It doesn't matter if they killed somebody. The pastor will lay in his bed at night and go, could I have done something to help them so that they didn't kill somebody? They go through it, and it goes over and over in their mind. Come on, you understand what I'm saying? And you know, you, you get this, well, I just don't feel led of the Lord to be here anymore. Just believe he's moving me. You know, I, but I'll always love you, and you'll always be my pastor. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that one. See, you, you don't understand. See, sheep bites hurt the worst. And you don't understand it. I mean, probably the best people that could understand it would be somebody in the political arena. They understand it because they get voted in and then their constituents now believe because they gave to them and voted for them, now they should be able to tell them what to do. Kind of like a pastor or a basketball coach. And you have to understand, you deal with a lot of rejection, okay? You don't have how many people it takes to run a 120-member church? 120. Why? Because everybody has a position in a place. Now, I'm, I'm taking you through this because I want you to get this this morning. I, I told Cameron on the way up here, matter of fact, this is Cameron. Everybody say, hello, Cameron. Uh, he's the only one of the guys I could get to go with me this morning. All the rest of them went with Sheila. But in transition, you have to understand what starts happening. Family feels good. Father feels good. That restoration feels good. But when the king starts to step in, people have to start taking their positions. Because you're going from a family to an army. See, we tried to do it backwards. We tried to be an army before we became a family. If you do that, you become deserters. Why? Because first you have to be family. You have to have covenant. Once you have covenant, then you can move into being an army. Okay, because when you when you move into being an army, you fight. In other words, I can say something about my sister, but you say something about my sister. We're about to have a fight. Are, are y'all understand what I'm saying? What's happening is God is shifting this thing, and now what you have to understand is you're part of the church. Now you got to find out your identity. What's my place? See, the identity is not just understanding I'm a son or a daughter. That that's kindergarten. That's foundation. Now, in that identity of who you are, what is your gift in your identity now to do what you're supposed to do in the, in the house? Are you with me? And we've got, we. I'll just be honest with you, okay? I'm trying to be nice because it's not my house, but we have a very immature family. Not y'all, people that are not here this morning. W- what do I mean by that? We're used to, the leadership of the house doing everything. And usually it's 10% of the body that is functioning and taking care of the 90%. I mean, that's got a shift. See, the leadership is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. So you've got to be prophesying. you got to be laying hands on the sick. you got to be going into the prisons. you got to be feeding the home. Listen, not on a Sunday morning. That's leadership training. Do you know that's what Sunday is? Do you know the church is not even the place people should get saved? Come on, it says the fivefold ministry given to the church to equip the saints. The church is the equipping place for you to go out and get people saved out there. What we've done is we have revivals and invite people to come get saved. See, that's got to shift. And, and, and all a revival is is to revive you back to a certain place. We don't need revival. We need reformation. Okay? So there's a shift that's happening. And that's what you're seeing with your leaders right now. There's a shift. We don't know what it looks like. We just know it's shifting. I, I talked to a pastor of a big church the other day, and he said, Listen, I know it's supposed to shift, but here's the problem. I have no idea how to do it. You ever been there? You know God's wanting you to do something. You don't know what it looks like. I mean, I've been in that place for almost three years now. When I resigned two years ago in August, I I knew before then I I was going to move. Now, I didn't know where. I didn't know how. I still don't know how. And when I resigned, I laid down my paycheck. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that, but you quit a job before you have another one? That's scary. Because for probably 20 years, I had a set amount coming in that I knew that's my paycheck coming in. For the last two years, I ain't had that. You know, it's just one day at a time, sweet Jesus, right? The heck with that. I don't like that one day at a time. Let me know I got some security here, right? Everybody's like, oh, I want that walk of faith. Well, yeah, that's a walk of faith. Cause listen, but you know people think it's all glamorous traveling and go everywhere. Man, you go to some churches, you get fifty bucks, and you paid your your meals, you paid your gas, you did it all, and they fifty bucks, and they think they really blessed you. Are you understand what I'm saying? Now you you have to understand that when this thing is shifting the way it is, if the leadership has to shift, you have to shift. If you don't, you'll lose the dynamic of the identity of who God's called you to be in this region. That makes sense to you. Because, like I said, there's a calling on the church just like there's a calling on you individually. And you can miss that as a church just like you can miss it individually. This is what I determined. Just because my church was going to miss it, I ain't going to miss it. That makes sense to you. So I had a decision to make. I was like, if the church don't shift, I'm still shifting. And let me tell you what what that is, and then we'll go into the message. The church wanted me to do church. They wanted me to marry and to bury and to be there every Sunday and preach a nice message and get out at a certain time and just care about our local community. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Some churches, that's their call. But I've got a nation's call on me. So guess what? I'm going to raise people up and and wherever I'm apart, it's going to go after the next generation and it's going to care about more than the local church. Does that make sense? Now, there's some churches, there's an identity just for that local church and that's great. You're not one. Sorry, you're not. You have leaders that their call is greater than the local house. So that means for them to shift, you've got to shift as well. Are you with me? When we had certain ones that didn't shift, there was things that was happening that it was shifting, all right, but it wasn't aligning with vision. So anything that doesn't align with leadership vision causes division. Whatever causes division, there's going to be a, there's going to be a split. We didn't have one; we had about five. Okay, I mean, I had one of you know I made covenant with twelve elders. At the end, I had four elders left out of the 12. And four of my 12 started churches out of our church. And we made covenant that they wouldn't do that. You know what I learned? They don't see covenant the way I see covenant. Does that make sense to you? Now, I can't blame them for that because they they believe they were doing what they're... Three out of the four have done went under. Are you understand what I'm saying? Why? Because God never called them to start a church. He's holding them to the commitment in the covenant they made. And the other one will never be successful. Can't. Because 1st it had to come and repent and get loose for the covenant that they made. And I'm willing to do that. It has nothing to do with me. That's between them and God. But they made that covenant. I didn't make them make that covenant. They did it. Does that make sense to you? But in the midst of that, I couldn't stay and not do what God's called me to do. So I guarantee you, there's people I thought would be with me not with me today. I mean, these people I led to the Lord. These people I filled with baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are the people that I prophesied over that moved them into their destiny. And today, it's like they don't even know me. I'm going, and God says, what's the problem? Didn't you ask to be used? Yep, yep, let me set it this side. A politician will understand. See, you're asking, God use me. That's what you do. God use me. Then when people use you, you get mad. Now that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the process of pain. Now, open with me real quick. We got 10 minutes to do this. John chapter 18. Give you a couple passages here and I'll I'll show you this. And. In Matthew, you see a scenario where Jesus is asking a question, who do men say that I am? And some of the verbiage of who people said that he was is very honoring because they considered him a prophet. That was their belief system. Some say Jeremiah, some say Elijah. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And and Peter said, "You're, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. So Peter showed that he was having a relationship with Father because Father revealed that to him. And the disciples are complaining because Jesus is preaching in parables. In other words, parable is a spiritual example and he's given it to them in a physical box. That's why he would talk about seed and the sower. He, he's giving them something they could understand but there's a spiritual principle hid in that parable. And the disciples are saying, hey, that's enough. Just tell me straight up. Tell me what's up. And he said, I want to, but you really can't handle it. And they're like, yes, we can. Tell us. He said, okay, this is what's going to happen. They're going to kill me. They're going to beat me. They're going to do all this stuff. But in three days, I'm going to get back up. Right? And the mucho preacher that just got the revelation from God looks at him and says, oh, no, they're not. Now, this is man talking to God. I know y'all never do that. They're not either going to kill you. And look what he does. He looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Calls him Satan. Now, he wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking about the influence of what Peter was doing. Why? Because Peter is actually trying to stop him from who he is. Watch what I'm saying. Peter is trying to get Jesus, even though he had a revelation, he is the son of the living God. I had people in my church to say, we know you have a call to the nations. We know that you're a prophet. We know these things, but this is what we want. They had revelation by the Spirit who I was, but physically we want you in our house every Sunday. Come on, are you getting this? And Jesus looked at that Spirit because you know what Peter wanted? Peter wasn't what the disciples wanted. They wanted Jesus to be with them. And they wanted a kingdom set up on the earth and Jesus was going to be king and one of them was going to be at the right hand and the other was going to be at the left hand because that's the only paradigm they had. Because it was going to be a kingdom like David's. You understand what I'm saying? They had no idea what Jesus was talking about. They just saw his miracles. They saw his signs and wonders. But they didn't have a clue what the kingdom meant. Come on, he's telling them the kingdoms here. They're going, okay. What does that mean? That means it's going to be like David. You're going to do the same thing David did. We're going to have a mighty army. We're going to rule and reign in the land. That's what they thought. They had no idea what the king had planned. The scary thing is trusting the king when you have no idea what he has planned. So he would have called Peter his friend. Yet Peter's trying to stop him from the very identity of what he came to do. So you have to understand something. They can be people that love you and can be your closest friend, but if they do not see you after the Spirit, they'll actually try to stop you from who God has called you to be. And one of the greatest things that does that is something called familiarity. What does that mean? They recognize you by the flesh and not by the Spirit. Oh, well, that's just Pastor Shelley and Eric, you know, hey. That's why even Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown. See, where I went back to start a church was in my hometown, where I did my drugs, where I did all my, I'm like, God, anywhere, but not back there. And this is what he told me, he said, you don't understand, that's not your destination, that's your training ground. Are you with me? Now, I do believe Eric and Shelly's destination is here. I'm not saying that. And I believe that God wanted to move me in and out of that place in Atoka. And I don't believe he's done yet, but there had to be a shift because of what happened. But Peter was trying to get Jesus to come down to who they wanted him to be instead of who he was. Are you following me? In the garden, they fall asleep, couldn't pray with him. But when the garrison comes, Judas is with them. Remember the story? And Judas betrays Jesus, goes up and kisses him on the cheek. And Jesus says, hello, friend. Did y'all hear that? Peter, the one you thought would be his friend, he called Satan. Because he's trying to stop him from going to the cross. Judas is the betrayer, and he made sure he went to the cross. And he called him friend. Do you understand you ought to be thanking God for your enemies? Do you understand you ought to be thanking God for your pain? Because your pain shows you where your problem is. See, we're people of comfort. We don't like pain. But you got to understand, if you don't go through the process of pain, you'll never be promoted. You don't get a testimony without a test. Now watch what Jesus says. He set Peter up. Because remember what Peter said? I will what? Die with you. Did he mean it? Absolutely he meant it. So it comes to the point in the garden and right before these people come, he says, go get me some swords. Now what in the world does God want a sword for? He ain't had a sword the whole time they've been together. God was setting Peter up. Do you know God'll set you up to show you your own failure? What you think you mean? Till you get in the moment. So he goes and gets a sword. He goes, "Hey, we got a couple here." He goes, "That's good." The garrison comes, come to take Jesus. And what's Peter going to do? He's going to do the same thing that he did before. Oh no, you're not going to die. And he's trying to keep Jesus once again from the reason he came to the planet and he yanks out a sword, and what does he do? Chops the dude's ear off, right? And Jesus steps in and says, Peter, if you live like that, you're going to die like that. What's he telling you? You can't defeat your enemies in the flesh. When somebody does something you think they shouldn't do, mean knows he had a wrong revelation. He's still trying to protect Jesus. I got some good news for you. Jesus don't need protection. See, some of y'all are trying to hold up. He, he. Listen, his name's not bound to you. Matter of fact, it's ones that are not here this morning that are giving him a bad name. That, that's a joke. Y'all. So Jesus reaches down, picks up the ear, and puts it back on the dude. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the rest of the soldiers, I'd I'd have been done right there. I'm out. Puts the ear back on, it's fine, I'm out of here. Y'all go take him, right? And look what he says. This is one of the most powerful statements in the Bible. He looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, is this not the cup that my father has for me? Nobody preaches on this. You know why? Because nobody wants to drink that cup. Come on, I want you to hear me. Nobody wants to drink the cup of pain. But this is what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, don't you understand? This is why I came to the earth. This is why my Father sent me. This is my cup. You're trying to stop me from drinking my cup. It actually means my fate. You're trying to stop me from my fate, my destiny. How many you Peter didn't get it? There's a passage. The disciples looked to him and they said, He's talking about the cup. And he says, can you drink of the cup? You know what their answer was? Yes. He said, indeed you will. You know what he meant? Do you know every one of them died as a martyr? Do you know that's how Jesus died? Why? That was their cup. So the grace that is available for you is only available for you if you drink your cup. So you got people asking for grace that's sufficient for them, like Paul did. Paul's like, God, three times. He's like, God, take this from me. And God said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to take it from you. Drink the cup, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you in it. In other words, if you resist the cup, you don't have the grace to overcome what you're facing. We have a lot of people that are in the midst of their pain and they're looking at their pain and they're staying in the pain and they don't realize that's your cup. Drink the cup. People done me wrong. It's your cup. Come on, she said it this morning. Looked at Jesus and you will do greater works than he did. Guess what? If you're going to do greater works than he did, you have to go through what he went through. What does that mean? You're going to be rejected you're going to be lied about. Winebibber, glutton, adulterer. They lied about him. Guess what? If you're really going to do the things of the kingdom, you're going to be lied about. I mean, they still think we got a snake pit in Atoka. I don't know where they get that. One guy would not let his daughter come into our church because he was convinced we had a snake pit in there and we handled snakes. I'm just like her. Where do they get this stuff? And then they're it on TV the other day where the dude gets bit by a snake, a preacher, and gets killed. And I'm like, there you go. That's where they get it. Their experience has now dictated their doctrine. So they lump everybody into that. I hate snakes. <laughs> I'm not wrestling with them. I'm killing them. I'm not picking them up. Come on, and you understand what I'm saying? And you have to understand who you are. You've got to realize there's an identity on this church and on you individually. But you cannot let the process of pain keep you stuck. You can't look around and go, man, I thought there would be ones here that are not here. Guess what? They're gone. They may not come back, but guess what? God will give you new ones. God never looks back to the past. He's a present future God. The only time you deal with the past is so you can get healed and let it go. But you have to understand in the midst of it, if if you get caught up in that process of pain, you won't drink the cup. Now, I'm going to end with this prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed. I talked to you last week about this. and We'll bring this all together next week and pray and minister over people. But Last week, I gave a whole teaching on the flesh. If you really want to understand it, you read Romans 5 and Romans 6. The church has lied to people. How have they done that? They tell you you have a sin nature. If you've been born again, you do not have a sin nature. Not possible. You've been born again. That means you've been born from heavenly. If you've been born again, that means you now have a seed called an incorruptible seed. Incorruptible means it can't be corrupted. Did y'all get that? You're born again from the heavenlies. Okay, that's the real you. You say, yeah, but these thoughts come. Did you know your thoughts are not you? It's not. I mean, it's a proven fact. Most of the time, what you watch before you go to bed, you'll dream about it. You might not remember it, but that's what you'll dream about. Why? It's because what you're putting in. It's like the seed in the sower. Whatever you put in is going to... So you have to understand something here. He's shifting us. He's wanting us to understand what our cup is. And your cup is your fate. It's your destiny. It's like him being in the political realm. He's got to understand his fate is people that what's like him are not going to like him. There's nothing he can do about it. It's his cup. He will vote on certain things that will make people mad. But he's got to live with him. He don't have to live with those people that think he ought to vote this way or that way. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus was rejected of every one of his disciples. Why? Because he didn't do it the way they thought he should do it. They didn't understand what he was doing was for their benefit. Did you get that? It says it was the joy set before him. So there's a joy in fulfilling your destiny and your purpose, even though there's pain in the process. Did y'all get that? See, joy is not something that comes and leaves. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is already on the inside of you. It's how you see it. It's how you deal with it. See, joy is always available. You just don't know it. Did you get that? See, when you got filled with the Spirit, joy came with him. Joy is always there. Patience is always there. You may not realize it, but it's there. People say, well, I got an anger problem. I said, are you born again? Yes. I said, you don't have an anger problem. You have a self-control problem. What you don't understand is you have self-control in there. You just hadn't learned that that's what you have. Does that make sense to you? See, it's how you believe that determines how you operate. Once I start seeing this, it was easy for me then to start blessing my enemies. Because I realize I am where I am today because of my enemies, not my friends. But it's had me shift and determine who's my enemy and who's my friend. Did y'all hear what I just said? Because with Jesus, it would look like Peter was his friend. But he called Judas his friend. Because Judas made sure he fulfilled his destiny. Peter tried to keep him from it. You see, there was people in my life that I thought were really my friends. You know what they were doing? They are trying to keep me from my destiny. One of them came up to me and said, I'll be with you. I'm in it with you. And I'll be here. And he started telling me all this stuff. He said, but I want to tell you one thing. You don't need to be going all over the world and preaching. You need to be in that pulpit every Sunday. I mean knows I had a choice to make right then? I looked at him. I said, well, here's the problem. You're not my God. And my God tells me to get on planes and go to different countries. He just kind of looked at me. How he's going to argue with that? But guess what? He left. Why? Because he realized he couldn't control me. He couldn't buy me. I had a guy sit in front of me and going to write a check and pay our church off. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to tear it up and throw it back at you. that, That don't sound very nice to somebody that's willing to pay your church off, does it? but I knew the hook he was putting in there. He'd call me, and I'd, I'd have ministry. He said, God told me I'm supposed to go with you. I said, that's funny. He didn't tell me. God told me you're supposed to take me to Australia, and God told me you're supposed to do this. And I said, I, I understood that hook, what he's trying to do. He had money, so he just felt like, hey, I give you money. I had another guy look at me. We are in a situation. He said, how much you need? I said, I don't have any needs. He goes, well, you just got through telling me what was going on. I said, well, I just got through telling you what God's going to do. I'm not telling you what you're going to do. Because if you write that check to me right now, then you become my God. And I said, I love you, but you will never be my God. And he left. See, prophets ain't really liked when you get to deal with things. They like the good, nice words, right? But you have to understand, we have a calling that is higher than how it makes you feel. How many know Jesus had to do the truth even though they didn't understand it, it didn't feel good to them? Because he understood his purpose was to come and drink the cup. So here's what I'm asking you today. What's your cup? What's Father told you to do that you may be resisting and complaining about that causes you to stay in the wilderness when it's your cup. You see, she'll she'll tell you this. Before I came, time before last, I was out of here. I was going to India. I was gone. I was hurting. I was upset. I had sheep bites all over me. I was mad. I'm like, God, I'm done. And I'm running one day, jogging, and God said, why are you running from what i called you to reform? I knew exactly what he was saying. And then I come here, and she looks at me and says, i got a word for you. I'm thinking, good. She goes, you're never going to get away from the Pharisees. I said, in that moment, I said, God, my mama taught me to respect my elders. mean, no. that's not a word I wanted to hear. I knew exactly what she was saying. She was confirming to me exactly what God was saying. He was saying, son, you can go ahead and run if you want to. But you'll be back. You can't get away from it. It's your cup. Drink it. Find the joy that God's giving you on the inside that it's your destiny. It's your fate. Quit resisting it. Because when you embrace it, that's when the favor comes. And when the children of Israel embraced it, they left the wilderness. What does that mean? They left the just enough. And they went into a land, that houses they didn't build, wells they didn't dig, vineyards they didn't plant. But here was the problem. They still had to kill giants. See, the body of Christ wants that stuff without killing the giant. The giant's not your enemy, he's your friend. He just doesn't know he's your promotion. David wouldn't have been promoted unless he killed the giant. So when the giant shows up, it's promotion time. When unforgiveness shows up, it's promotion time. When pain shows up, it's God trying to show you what's keeping you from the promised land. He's showing you what's keeping you in the wilderness. I knew it wouldn't be a shouting service this morning. What am I telling you? There's no other way to get through it. Because here's the thing you have to understand. Psalms 139 tells you this. All your days were already written in his book yet before one of them was ever lived. What does that mean? Your cup's already poured, honey. You might as well drink it. And when you learn to drink it in the midst of it, you know what? I can look at those bites and I can look at those words and I can look at those rumors and I can just say, come on, give me some more. Because all you're doing is preparing me for promotion. Come on, are you hearing me? I had someone come to me the other day and tell me something, and it was so bad, it was good. I just looked at him and said, just prophesy. Just go ahead and prophesy. Why? Because I understand my enemy is showing me who he thinks I am. See, that's what Goliath was doing. He was prophesying. This is what I'm going to do. And it was working against everybody that was in fear until David showed up. And David said, excuse me, my turn to talk. That's really what David did. David said, listen, I ain't going to listen to what you have to say. You're going to listen to what I have to say. I'm going to take your sword, cut your head off with it, and feed your head to the fowls of the air because you're coming against my God. You're dead. You just don't know it. See, David recognized the promotion that was before him. Everybody else was in, they were scared and in fear see the difference? When David showed up, he went, oh, promotion time for me. How do you know? What's the first thing he asked? What am I going to get for killing him? That's what David said right when he showed up. What am I going to get for killing him? Because he's dead. He just don't know it. They started telling him. He asked three times, what am I going to get for killing him? How many knows he wasn't worried about the enemy? Why? If you killed a lion and a bear, a man's no problem. See, what I'm, what I'm trying to show you is David operated in his identity as a king before he was king. And he held on to the word saying, I can't die, I'm not king yet. So what God has given you spiritually, you carry it to push it forward physically. No matter what the enemy is, because really that is your friend trying to get you there. So what you've been resisting is the very thing that God's trying to use to get you into the place of destiny. Well, it got real quiet on that one. You have to understand this, and I'm done. Everything in the kingdom is backwards. Everything. You want money in the kingdom? you got to give it away. You want friends in the kingdom? you got to show yourself friendly. You want love in the kingdom, you got to love first. Hello. You want God to forgive you? You got to forgive others. See, everything's upside down. Everything's different. Why? Cuz his way of doing things and God's got a big problem. He thinks he's God. He's not asking for permission. He's not asking for your opinion, and you need to get this. He'll have conversation with you and he's operating with you with father. He'll comfort you. He'll speak to you. He'll give you revelation. But when he starts operating as a king, you better shift. Because when he starts operating as a king, he starts positioning you in your identity. What does that mean? The cup's coming whether you drink it or not. Hello. That's why he told Peter, Peter, I prayed for you. That's why he told him, the devil's coming, but I prayed for you. You know what he's telling? You're going to be okay. But you're going to go through a process, son. And Hammy knows that that was not a good process. Because you know what Peter did? When it didn't happen the way Peter wanted it to happen, what did Peter do? That's what he did. Come on, put that lip out. He sold up. Started feeling sorry for himself. Come on, great men of God. Elijah did the same thing. Went and hid in the cave. I want to die. What did Jonah do? I want to die. Why? You don't understand what I'm going through. Get over it! It's your cup! Drink it with a smile! And Peter went back to doing what he was doing before he met Jesus. What did he say? I go a-fishing. Was Peter a good fisherman? He goes back to fishing. The other disciples followed him. Jesus shows up on the seashore. Hey boys, how's the fishing going? They don't know it's him. He disguised himself. How was the fishing going? We caught nothing. Come on, get that revelation. Go ahead and try to go back to what you were doing before you found Jesus. Go ahead and try to go back because you got offended it didn't work out the way you thought it'd work out. Go ahead and go back to what you used to do. See how it works out for you. You ain't gonna be catching nothing. You're gonna be miserable. And you're going to fish all night and you're going to be tired and you got no fish in the boat. And Jesus shows up and says, Throw your net on the other side. Now, you know how Peter had an idea who it was? Because Jesus had done this before. And he throws the net and they have a great harvest. Watch this. Last, last closing. I got to at least have three. He jumps out of the boat, comes to Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Peter, do you love me? Ask him three times. That's a whole message within itself. But I want you to get this revelation. He was shifting Peter, because on the earth he had revealed Father to them. Think about it. On the earth, that's what Jesus did. He said, I come to reveal the heart of my Father. If you've seen me, you've seen him. But he's like, Peter? Things are shifting. Now you're going to come into your identity. When you come into your identity, you're going to be shifted into a place of He's King, not just Father. So he asked him a question. Do you love me? Yes, then feed my sheep. What's he saying? Drink your cup. Yeah, but they bite me. Drink your cup. Yeah, but I don't like Gentiles. Drink your cup. He asks him three times, and he's pretty embarrassed. But he don't have the tenacity that he once had. I'll die. I'll do this. Why? Because he's denied him three times. Now he's broken. He's humble. Then he tells Peter how he's going to die. How many of y'all want to hear that revelation? That's what God tells him. He said, listen how You're going to bring glory to me. In your latter years, they're going to stretch you out. You know what he's saying? They're going to crucify you. Did they do that? Yeah, upside down. He said, this is how you're going to bring glory to me. Wow. I mean, y'all want that kind of prophetic word. This is how you're going to please God. This is how you're going to die. What's Peter do? Same thing you do. What about John? <laughs> Let's get this focus on me. What about him? Watch what happens. He starts telling Peter who he is. And on the day of Pentecost, God comes who stands up and preaches peter when moses came on the mountain and they rejected the word of the lord how many died 3000 grace comes peter stands up and preaches and how many gets born again 3000 hello why because now he shifted and now he's moving in as king And he moves in his king, people start moving in their identity. And here Peter, the one that rejected him, thought he would do something in the flesh, now starts to understand who he is in the spirit. And he looks at them and says, you crucified him. And then starts telling them, and listen, he doesn't even give a sinner's request. He didn't give an altar call. He didn't say, all y'all, come on down here if you want what I got. He said, these guys ain't drunk. You know what they said? What do we got to do to be saved? How many knows knows the meeting is on when the people are asking, what do we got to do to get right? And 3,000 people got at it. And then 5,000 got at it. And then he burst forth, released it to the Gentiles, and the world got turned upside down. Why? Because when the king shows up, It's about his kingship identity in you to take dominion and take the land. Why are you telling me all that? Because the shift is here. What am I going to have to do? You have to drink your cup. If you don't, listen to me, if you don't drink your cup, you'll end up like Judas. Judas was a physical example of where the church will end up. Feeling sorry for itself and killing itself. Judas didn't do anything worse than any of the disciples. They all rejected him. But you know what he did? He pulled away from the people. He isolated himself, felt sorry for himself, ended up killing himself. You know why? Didn't want to drink his cup. I'll be honest with you. I do not want to drink mine either. But I got some good news for you. Jesus didn't want to drink his either. When he showed me that, I went, oh, my God, there's hope for me. Now, listen, in his spirit, man, yes, but in his soul, this is what he said. Father, if there's any other way. What was he saying? His soul was in agony. His soul was like, I don't want to do this. That's some good news for some of y'all. What's the good news? That's your soul. That's not really who you are. The spirit's who you are. Watch, he shifts over and says, nevertheless. Your will be done, not mine. Hello, are you with me? If it'd be my choice, I wouldn't be in Yukon right now. I'd probably be in Hawaii. And had the opportunity to go there, right? But I don't get to choose. It's my cup. Okay, Cameron will tell you, we just moved out of a 7,000 square foot house out in the middle of nowhere where nobody could find us. Now we're in Yukon with a 2,000 square foot house and we had two bathrooms this morning with how many people? Nine or 10 people trying to get ready for church. I'm like, God, you should give us that house here where we had eight bathrooms. Out there, nobody was there. Why well, he does everything backwards. And he doesn't even ask your permission. Stand up with me. Now listen, next week we'll minister and pray over people. But I knew this week that I was supposed to just challenge you and where you're at and the shifting that's here. This week it's not about you individually. This week it's about you corporately. So I want you to just bow your heads. And I'm going to have you do a very dangerous thing this morning. I'm going to have you ask God, what is my cup? You see, I can't tell you what your cup is. But he can. He can show you. He can show you where people has hurt you that you need to realize that's your cup. Drink it and go on. There'll be some relationships that'll never be restored. Drink your cup and go on. You can't restore a relationship with somebody that don't want restored. You just got to go on. You love them and go on. But what God can do is he can remove the pain that you're carrying because you embrace it, going, it's my cup. I trust you, Father. My soul don't want to do it. Nevertheless, your will be done. So, Father, I pray over this house this morning. God, I thank you for your leadership that you placed here. I thank you for their individual anointings and giftings, their individual identities. But, God, today we pray over the corporate identity of this house. And so we say, God, even as the leadership is being shifted right now, that they will not shift and leave the church. The church will not stay in the same place, but they will shift with leadership. They will not miss their time. But they will move in the corporate identity of why and how you set them in Woodward, Oklahoma, for this region, for this state, and for this nation. And so God, I bless them today. And I release your goodness over them in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You like her? You like her? Be nice to her, or I'll break your neck. No, I'm just kidding. I told you I was going to father a little bit this morning. Is that okay, Doc? Okay. All right, listen, next week, that's what we'll do. Um, we'll minister over you individually. I'll pray with you. Uh, we'll do some prophetic ministry. You know, I know that... Um, That's some things that I want to do, but I really felt this heavy this morning uh, to be able just to father the house. And what I mean by that is I have a relationship with the father of the house, which is Eric. And I know he trusts me, okay? And what I wanted to do is bring a settling of where y'all are. You're in a good place. You're not in a bad place. You're in a good place. Your pastors are in a good place. It's a hard place, but it's a good place. And you have to understand this is your cup. Because After he drinks the cup, you get killed. You get beat, right? But you get resurrected in three days. Okay, so let's just drink it and get it over with. Amen? Amen. Blessings and we'll see you next week.